0: Please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the book of Acts, and we're turning to Acts chapter 2. We will come back to our uh, series. Last week we did uh, say we were going to start a short series on our understanding of um, the doctrines of grace, uh, sometimes using that um, acronym TULIP, and we looked last time about um, total depravity or thinking about Uh, The corruption of our human nature. As Paul said in Ephesians 2, uh, that we were all at one time children of wrath, following the passions of our heart. Uh, All of those descriptions are really capturing what it means to be depraved or to be corrupt. Uh, But this morning, we want to turn our attention, uh, it's good for us to be uh, giving attention to um, the work of the Spirit and remembering uh, the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and so I thought we would uh, turn our attention uh, to that topic this morning, and then we'll, Lord willing, uh, 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 eventually get back to our series. Acts chapter 2, and beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How would you explain uh, the explosion of christianity in the first century that's a question that uh, we should give a lot of attention to and it's probably one that doesn't get enough uh, consideration when we think about the the christian movement the followers of jesus uh, they were those uh, who had heard about the life of jesus about the crucifixion of jesus his death but also about his resurrection but how do we explain the explosion of Christianity in the first century. Because Christianity became a movement not just by a a small select group, but it really became a pervasive influence uh, very quickly. We have evidence that within 15 years of the events surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection, that there was a sizable Christian community in the city of Rome. That's amazing to think that events that happened 3,000 more kilometers away from Jerusalem, that a sizable Christian community had already been established uh, in Rome. How does one explain that? How does one explain not just that Christianity spread across territories It spread across regions, but that it spread across language groups, that people of different languages embrace this faith. Think about the 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 barriers that come with trying to communicate to someone in a different language. Christianity was embraced uh, very early on by people who spoke different languages. How did that happen so quickly? You think even about our textual manuscripts. Uh, We have the New Testament uh, that has been written for the people of God in different languages. Uh, There was a Christian presence uh, of people who spoke many different languages from the early church. So it all comes back to asking that question. How do we explain how Christianity not only existed, but how it expanded in such a rapid way? The book of Acts really describes and explains how Christians (coughs) grew and how the Christian church really exploded across the known world in the first century. And this morning, we want to turn uh, to Acts chapter 2 to be able to explain how it is that Uh, the church grew and uh, how the church spread across the known world. We want to see that because the spirit has come in power, the followers of Jesus uh, have become equipped uh, to make known the work of God, of Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth. After Jesus uh, had been raised from the dead, we're told that for a period of 40 days, Jesus would meet with his disciples and Uh, During that time period, Jesus was really teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. He was was helping the disciples make the connections uh, to be able to see the clear picture now about his coming, about his work, and about the way forward in light of his resurrection. He was teaching them how to live in light of his works. But you remember that eventually Jesus ascended into heaven Uh, And he told them that uh, they were to stay in Jerusalem for a period of time. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father was sent to them. And really, why was Jesus doing that? Why did Jesus wait, tell his disciples to wait uh, in Jerusalem? He was telling them to wait uh, for the Holy Spirit so that they would be prepared to be his witnesses in Judea and in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So the spirit was really the catalyst for the church. The disciples needed the empowering and the emboldening presence of the spirit to be able to carry out their work. They needed the spirit to be able to have a greater remembrance and a greater understanding of God's truth to be able to promote it and to declare it to the nations around them. And this morning we are seeing how that comes to be through the coming of the Holy Spirit in power. We want to look at uh, just the beginning of this chapter together. We want to look at verses 1 through 13, and we want to think about the coming of the Spirit and the reaction to his coming. And we want to think, especially giving our attention to the coming of the Spirit in three thoughts. We want to think about when the Spirit comes, how he comes, and the effect of his coming. But it tells us when he comes in there in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost simply means 50th. Um, It is a marker, as we were highlighting, uh, of counting dates. Uh, it is 50 days from the offering of the barley sheaf at the beginning of the Passover. On the 50th day, there was a feast uh, that was called the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, uh, because seven weeks had passed. Uh, you remember the counting started on the day after uh, uh, the offering, uh, the, uh, the counting uh, with reference to the, the Passover. It was one of the three annual festivals And in the Old Testament, it was a day that was marked apart. Uh, There was no work to be done. And every Israelite male was required to appear at the sanctuary. It was also a day that was marked by special sacrifices, as we were reading in Leviticus. It was a day of joy uh, as the people were to receive God's gifts. They were celebrating God's gifts, even in the harvest. Uh, Recognizing what God has given them, they were anticipating a greater gift to come. Uh, And that's why the the first barley sheaf uh, uh, offering marks that anticipation of a greater harvest to come. In time, the people of God used to celebrate the giving of the law uh, at Pentecost, again, recognizing God's gifts, not just agricultural gifts, physical gifts, but also the spiritual gifts of knowing God's will. And so the people were celebrating. This was a a time of celebration, a day of joy, as it says in Deuteronomy, to give thanks for God's gifts. (coughs) And it's on this day that the Spirit will be sent. This is the occasion in which the Spirit will come in power. So when we ask the question to ourselves, Why does Jesus ascend into heaven after 40 days, but then there's this 10-day period uh, before the Spirit comes? Why didn't the Spirit come in power immediately when Jesus ascends? It is really to draw attention uh, to the importance of Pentecost. The late Gordon Ketty, uh, someone who just recently passed the other week, uh, explains three reasons why it is significant that the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. The first reason is because it provides maximum publicity. As we mentioned, the Feast of Pentecost was an annual feast. It was something that all the male Israelites were required to come to attend to in the sanctuary in Jerusalem. Some scholars estimate there could be as many as a million men in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. So the the sending of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost brings maximum exposure. It brings maximum publicity. Uh, This is something that's happening not in a corner, but it's confronting the people of God with the works of God. It brings maximum publicity. But the second reason is is because it brings a heightened expectation. Um, With the annual festivals, the people are their attention is already being directed at God. God is the giver of every good gift. Our harvests depend on God's goodness. God has brought a good harvest. He will bring a good harvest. We're to expect good things from God. And so on Pentecost, their minds are already directed towards thinking about God's goodness and his gifts. And so now it is uh, tying that idea together as their minds are directed towards God, God is now going to show them the greatness of his gifts. But it's a third uh, reason that is especially significant as well. It is the theological significance. We see the parallel between God's work of redemption and God's sequence of gifts. Remember back in Leviticus, uh, it tells about the different feasts, There's the Feast of the Weeks. There's the Feast of the First Fruits. There's the Feast of Passover. Passover is a celebration of when the Lamb of God was slain. The Lamb that was slain that brought them deliverance and liberty from Egypt. It was to teach the people that God is a God who sets them free by his work of salvation. But it was to anticipate the work of the Messiah that Jesus comes as the Lamb of God, that Jesus was sacrificed to take away the sins of his people in order that believers might be set free. And so the Passover had uh, an arc that was pointing forward to God's work in Jesus Christ. But as you c- count forward in Leviticus, it points us not just to Passover, but to Pentecost. And the sequence is as God's work then follows with God's gifts. God's work was to give a lamb. The lamb of God will bring salvation. But then following that in the sequence is God's gifts. And so the people are to see that the effect of God's work in Christ is the gift of God's spirit. There's a connection that we're to see there. And we're to live in response uh, to it. And so as we uh, look at all these events, we're to see that the the Pentecost was a fitting time for the sending of the Spirit. But we're also told about how the Spirit came. It says in verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. Uh, It's Significant here that it's telling us two things about how the Spirit came. The first is a mighty sound. Uh, Luke compares it uh, with a mighty rushing sound. Uh, you think back, if uh, you were here, the, the hurricane uh, that we experienced last fall. You heard the wind. The wind was something you could not ignore. Uh, the sound of it can be overwhelming. Overwhelming. Well, here, the wind is representative of the presence of God, that God makes himself known uh, through the presence of the wind. We read, uh, for instance, uh, in the account of Elijah, uh, as with many Old Testament theophanies, uh, the wind becomes a, a means by which of communicating the presence of the spirit. But in Elijah's time, The Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind on the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. God was communicating his presence. Not saying that he was the wind, but his presence was there, and it was communicated Through these events that were happening around them. The wind then communicates God's presence. But we also are told that there was the sight as well divided tongues as of fire. A visual sign communicated the presence of the Spirit as well. Just as the sound of wind was used to communicate God's presence in the Old Testament, the same was true of fire. A pillar of fire led the church through the wilderness. Uh, of uh, Fire was used uh, with the burning bush, uh, which symbolized God's presence uh, when Moses was called. Fire was present uh, even at the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. God made himself known. His presence was known uh, even in these visual signs, even though he wasn't identified with them. Uh, but it says each uh, the, the divided tongues rested on each one of them. Whereas the presence of God was localized in the Old Testament, in the temple, here God's presence is personally related to each person individually. That is the effect of the Spirit's coming in power. That there is an intensity of knowing God's presence personally uh, uh, in a greater fashion. So there is when these events take place. It is on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the fulfillment of the sequence of God's gifts. There is how these events unfolded. Uh, There was a mighty rushing wind. There was a visual sign of divided tongues of fire. But there's also the effect of the Spirit's coming. It says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, we see a couple of markers as to what the effect was. In the Old Testament, when a person was set apart for their office, you think of a prophet or a priest or even a king, uh, they were not left to their own abilities. They were empowered by the Spirit to fulfill their task. The prophet was given the words to speak God's message. And so in a similar way here, the disciples were filled with the Spirit so that they are empowered to declare God's mighty works. They were able to speak in other uh, tongues, in other languages, and they were able to declare the mighty acts of God. That's what characterizes the day of Pentecost. When we see that, that uh, language uh, that they were uh, speaking in other tongues, we're not meant to understand that as angelic languages or some ecstatic speech, or to understand that as other known languages of human Conversation of human communication. That's what it goes on to say in the following verses. Because it says in verse six, they were hearing them speak in their own language. Uh, that they understood what they were saying. They were speaking their tongue. They were speaking uh, the the language that they spoke themselves. Uh, we have to also remember, even in other passages of Scripture, uh, that the purpose of speaking in tongues, that gift, was to edify not the church but it was to attest to the power of God to the unbeliever. And so that's what's happening here. It is is confronting those with the reality of God's work, that they might come to faith, that they might believe in God themselves. And so the effect of the Spirit's coming uh, is, is that they are enabled to speak to people, so that they hear in their own native tongue, their own mother tongue, and they're able to hear the good news of God's saving work themselves. While in one sense uh, we should understand uh, Pentecost is unique. The day of Pentecost is the unfolding of God's purposes in time. It is something that happened once, and it's unique in that sense, because the Holy Spirit has now come. In another sense, we can still recognize that we live on the basis of the effect of the Spirit's coming, that the the Spirit has come, and we now live with that emboldened power to proclaim God's mighty works. And so we shouldn't necessarily look for some of the signs that were being communicated here. We shouldn't look for divided tongues of fire or a mighty rushing wind to know of God's power or presence. At the same time, the sending of the Spirit is now uh, uh, abiding with God's people. And we should realize uh, that the Spirit who worked powerfully on that day can continue to work powerfully in our own day. And when the Spirit does, the church calls that revival. And the church should believe in revivals. That just as many were convicted and converted on this day, so the work of the Spirit can convict and convert many in our own day. We can very easily be influenced to becoming more secular than we might think, where we think with a this worldly mindset We look at things and we think this is the way things will always be. But God has a way of upsetting and stirring things, of bringing about a great change. And he's done it before. And the church should believe and expect that God can do it again. That is the abiding uh, relevance of Pentecost. So, in one sense, we can look at this and we can say, you know what, what is happening here is uh, unique in the unfolding of God's purposes. On the other hand, we can say the power of God that was displayed there is something that we believe continues to equip, but also to bless his kingdom and its advancements today. So, when this was all happening, we're told that people were coming together. Uh, and uh, uh, they were witnessing uh, the power of the Spirit. So there was the coming of the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, uh, the Spirit came uh, with both audible and visual signs, and the effect was is that the disciples, the apostles, were able to speak uh, God's truth. They were able to declare God's mighty works in Jesus Christ uh, to those uh, who heard. But what was the reaction of all of this? We're told that there were devout men in Jerusalem at that time, uh, which means that both residents but also pilgrims, uh, uh, people that are traveling. Uh, And so they really become representative of the nations. Uh, That's what's being highlighted here. As they speak to them, each in their own language, they were astonished because they were Galileans but they were hearing them speak in their own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, and Cyrene and visitors from Rome. These are people from Arabia, people that are from modern-day Turkey, people that are from Africa. These are people that are coming from different quarters of the world. They are assembling together for this religious feast and they are hearing in their own language about what God has done in Jesus Christ. Think about the implications of that. Where did divided language come from? The Bible tells us that languages became divided as a result of God's judgment on man's pride. That in the Tower of Babel, that human beings wanted to create a tower to their own glory. They wanted to build something to their own greatness. They wanted to live as autonomous creatures without reference to God and that this would be what unites them. And as a result, God divided their purposes, sending them off and causing them to speak in different languages so that their purposes would not be realized. But that... That judgment, that curse of being divided and separated here is being reversed by the effect of the Spirit's coming. People who have become separated as a result of their own sin are being brought together because they're able to understand one another. But more than that, because they're being confronted with God's purposes that unite them. And so this uh, effect here is uh, astounding in terms of the implications of it. They were hearing people speak to them in their own language. If you've ever studied another language, just think about how hard it is uh, to learn a new language. You learn vocabulary, and they become like little blocks. But then you have to be able to put those blocks together to be able to speak a sentence. And then when you have those blocks together to form a sentence, you're trying to understand what that sentence means for that individual, uh, and how to understand when they speak to you, how to speak back. Learning a new language is difficult. And yet here these, these men of Galilee, these common ordinary folk, are enabled to communicate so that others understand them. And it says they're astonished. They're confounded. They're confused. What does this mean? What does this mean? They are able to speak to them about the mighty works of God. As we read there in Acts 2, the mighty works of God refer to the the ordained plan of God. That the Lamb of God would be crucified. But that he would be raised. Because he was the Lord's anointed, he would not let him see the tombs decay. That Jesus died to take away sins as a substitute for sinners. And he was raised to glory and is now king of kings. And everyone who calls on his name will be saved. As it says in the prophets. They were able to make known God's truth. Because they had received the spirit. Because Christ had taught them awe about his works and now they're able to make them known to others and so we we're told there were two reactions to all of this it says in verses 12 and 13 they were all amazed and perplexed saying to one, one another what does this mean but others mocking said they are filled with new wine again there's two reactions astonishment and ridicule the ridicule is easy to explain If we live our lives assuming that God won't intervene in this world, then we're going to understand why people ridicule the idea that God would. And notice here the scriptures are honest enough to say some ridiculed. They can account for that. They can explain it. But notice as well that Luke testifies that some were astonished and believed. And as we get to the end of Acts 2, it tells us 3,000 souls believed. 3,000 were added to the number of the church that day. What accounts for such a great response, a great reception to God's works? It's because they had seen something that had convinced them that this was an act of God. They had heard the message of Jesus and they believed Ultimately, Acts is teaching us it's because of the work of the Spirit. The coming of the Spirit changes individuals. It convicts them of the truth about God's works. It convicts them about the truth of their problem of sin and guilt. But it also renews them so that they are inclined to trust. And Acts is able to explain just how the early church exploded. How is it that people of different languages all started holding on to this faith? How is it that they were united in a common faith in Jesus Christ? How is it that there were believers across the known world? Within a few short years, Acts says it's because of the Spirit. Is because the coming of the Spirit in sequence of God's works was to bless sinners. And when we recognize that, we can be encouraged. Pentecost changed things. God's people uh, uh, are enabled now to fulfill their calling to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. If you're a professing Christian then, we should have that encouragement to know that we live as ambassadors by the strength of the spirit and so we can be confident it's easy to look around and to see the state of Canada see the state of the world to see the state of the church and to think things don't look very good but the coming of the spirit teaches us that the church is sustained by the power of god that the church is emboldened and will be successful by the grace of God, that the Spirit will work and can change hearts so that people believe. And if we are sitting here as someone who has not yet come to faith, then realize we have some thinking to do. We have to think about not only what happened then and explain it, but we have to think about How are we responding to God's gifts? The temporal gifts we've enjoyed, but also the spiritual gifts that he's given to us in his son. When we do, then we can rejoice as well and find our joy in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the sending of the Spirit in fulfillment of your purposes, we pray, Lord, that uh, we would see it as the work of God the timing, the uh, events unfolding, uh, the, the meaning behind it. And we pray, Lord, that we would see this not as something to ridicule or to mock, but ultimately something to marvel at and to rejoice in. So lead us in your truth and guide us for Jesus' sake. Amen.